You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Our text today is from 5710, 1950. It's Igris Moshe Ur Chaim Chelek Aleph Simen Lamed Gimel. Uh, the topic uh, in Igris Moshe is the question of whether uh, Kohanim or Mechalei Shabbos before Hesia uh, publicly are entitled to Duchen. What's different about this tshuva than we do have the uh, the question in a con- in a different context in a collection of Shailu Shuvot put together by the author's uh, children. Um, the questioner was, was Rabbi Shlomo Yehuda Leib Levitan of Rock Island, Illinois, Rock Island and its environs. And from the... We learned something about Rav Moshe as a posik from the facts of the case. I think we learned very interesting things about America from the, the overall... Uh, environment of the exchange, and we'll see there's a third party uh, who gets involved as well. And we may also learn something about the selection pre- uh, criteria for Igris Moshe, uh, as well as about our uh, home phrase, Lonitan Lehemer Klal. So the Shiva is dated Chav Ches Marches from Tafshin Yud, but Rav Moshe acknowledges, He named Michtak Vutaraso mi ben Kesel Asor, Bidvar Michal Shabbos Reson, and says, Kabayam Kibalti Bimoado. I got your letter. Uh, on time, between the first, uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And what I didn't respond was, because this is something that's really hard to talk about. Um, but when I received your second letter, that pushes me uh, to respond, now I'm responding, um, so that you won't suspect me, uh, God forbid, of uh, belittling you. Now in the version published in Yerio Shlomo, uh, Simon Vav, Rav Moshe, as is a second reason after made Verem Shekashel the Berbaze, is also, and there's really not, very little to add to uh, to what you wrote. That, that line is somehow missing in Igris Moshe. Um, I don't know, maybe because Rav Moshe thought that um, that wasn't actually in the end quite true. Um, so, what Rav Moshe says is um, Medina, right? So, right, first of all, he's beginning to say this is something that's very hard to talk about, so it's worth thinking about why it's so hard to talk about. Now he says, Medina, just the halacha, even though Mechal Shabbos Beferhesia is judged as if they are somebody who's gone over to idolatry, uh, who's apostatized, and in general, the Achronim hold that therefore it's possible for Nesiyas Kapayim. But now we need the background. So the Ramam says in the Tezvah Vilchos Nesiyas Kapayim, the Ramah says that there are two sins that prevent the coin from uh, being from doing a siyas kapayim, from duchening. One is murder, or shvichas damim, and the other is avodah And the Ramah concludes by saying, ushar averos ein monin, but other sins don't stop you. So Rav Moshe says the only basis you can have for saying that the Chal Shabbos for Hesia can't uh, do a siyas kapayim is to claim that we really take this uh, comparison literally. That in the Chal Shabbos for Hesia really is a Mumer of Odazara. But that has a consequence, says Rav Moshe, because the Ramah says that if you, if you, um, violate, if you violate Shvichus Damim and you do Tshuva, you can still do Chen. But if you violate Avodazara and you do Tshuva, you can't do Chen. Uh, so that would imply that if you really draw the comparison, which is what Ari Levitan did in his letter to Rav Moshe, 
if you really draw the comparison, it turns out that the Chal Shabbos for Hesia can't do it even after they do tshuva. And Rav Moshe says about this, um, however you want to ex- uh, uh, explain the comparison between um, so actually, first the Akronim said this that, that you can't do it. But there's a lot to to question about the Akronim's comparison, automatic comparison that we say um, that Michal Shabbos for Hesia makes you puzzle like a Mumer Lavos Kuchavim. He loved Kalusahu because this isn't just like a, a generic, sorry, a, a um, an absolute rule that for all purposes a Mumer. Uh, a Michal Shabbos for Hesia is like a Mumra Lavodazara. You have to apply it with um, with Seichel, I guess he says. But he says, right, right now is not the time for me to explain exactly when the analogy works and when it doesn't. But however you say, however we'll say it, according to the Rambam, right, which is where the the fundamental uh, t- sources, Shoved of Adazara Pasola Filu Asachuva, where we said, right, if you were if you um if you're Ovid of Adazara, then you can't return to Duchan even if you did a even if you did a Vedazara. The Khiyusulu Gam Machal Shabbas Shashava Bitshuva, Zevale Lonitan Lehmer Klau. Are you really gonna claim that you're not even that uh, that you're not even gonna allow Kuanim who used to be Michal Shabbas to Duchan in your shul? That just can't be said. Uh, this to me is one of the more powerful um, uses of the phrase in Ramosha. He doesn't bother presenting any uh, any evidence. He acknowledges that uh, it seems that uh, some achronim make the make this analogy, but he just thinks it's um, unutterable, even if not um, obviously not inconceivable, but unutterable. And therefore, he says right just right now. He says and he. Because of his incredulity, he says, "Now we okay. So now we see that the that the comparison doesn't work." And then he says, "Look, and I think it's obvious what the distinction is that uh, there's a machlokus in the Gemara about whether if you do shchita lavodazara, if you become if you become um, if you become puzzle." And the um, the answer, the reason is because shchita is this in between state. If you do zrika, so then you were over the But if you do shchita, you didn't actually become shchita is not in avoda, um, as we because in a, in a, right in our system a, a zar a non kohen can do shchita of a korban. Um, so it looks like being an avoda zara, but you're not. So it's machlok zachronim, but. Um, right, the whole point is that once you have been an Oved, literally, right, you've done the Avodah for Avodah Zarah, so then you can't do things that are priestly, uh, that are like Avodah, when Nesiyah's Kapayim is compared to Avodah in some places, right? Exactly how strong the comparison is uh, is a different issue, which I address in my um, stuff on uh, on Kohanim with Disabilities. But, um, right, so there's no way you can tell me that a Michal Shabbos Farhesia becomes somebody who actually served as a priest for Avodah Zarah, right? He, he, what did he do? Uh, right? There's nothing priestly about being Michal Shabbos. So the comparison, Rav Moshe says, um, makes, makes no sense. A, right, it makes a, it leads to an impossible halachic conclusion, one that you can't even, right, you can't, you can't say at all. And secondly, it makes no, right, it makes no logical sense. And then he goes on and has a, uh, Right, therefore, he says, it seems to me that, um, with all humility, the, right, it seems obvious to me that the achronim are uh, simply incorrect. Um, 
Um, he says, goes on, he says, you know, in my Chidushim, I also explained that the comparison between the Chal Shabbos for Hesiod and Obed Avodah generally depends on the idea that the Nechal Shabbos for Hesia is acting in such a way that it's obvious to everyone that they reject creation, etc. And that's simply not true in America. Once upon a time, the distinction between Sinan and Hesia was that if you did it privately, people thought you were doing it out of self-interest, right, driven by desire or money, whatever it may be. But if you did it publicly, you must have an ideological purpose. But in America, uh, for better or for worse, that's not what it means. It just means the same thing as it used to mean privately, that people... Are uh, people people give in to greed, and therefore Moshe says, right? Really, a mechale shabbos for Hesia today are not the kind of mechale shabbos who should be compared to Ovdei Avodah B, the comparison doesn't extend to Nesias uh, to Nesias Kapayim, and C, it can't possibly extend to Nesias Kapayim because you're certainly not going to claim it's a truth. That just doesn't make any sense at all. Now, interesting thing is that Relevitan, um, if you read through uh, the collection his children put together, um, rarely accepted the first answer he received from a posik. So in Simin Vav and Yerush Shlomo, you see him writing back to Rav Moshe and saying, I don't really uh, understand what you're saying. You're telling me that right, any Mechal Shabbos for Heskia for any sin is Marin Vilomalin. So, you know, so in a theoretical world, it's permissible or maybe even a mitzvah to arrange for the death of this coin, and you're telling me that somebody whom it's a mitzvah to arrange for their death can bless the community? I don't understand you can say this at all. Rav Moshe says, what are you talking about? Nobody suggests that a mummer for other mitzvot, other than uh, other than Shabbos, is puzzle for Nesias Kapayim. And I think, says Rav Moshe, that even a Moser, right, somebody who's an immediate threat to the community, who's a Rodev, who is certainly a, uh, you know, in the extreme version, the case where, the, where, where Mesira really is a threat to the life of the community, where it's, it's a mitzvah to kill them, I still think that if they got up and they said, Nesias Kapayim, you, 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 uh, you respond amen to their bracha. You're just making a category error. Um, and now, this second um, letter in response from um, between Rav Moshe and Levitan, don't make it into Igoros Moshe. Uh, and I think the reason is that there's a stage even beyond Lonitan Le Amer Klal, which is you know, which is inconceivable, right? So Rabbi says that the the comparison between the, the claim that a um, that a Mechal Shabbos for Hesia, even after doing Tshuva, would be um, right would be puzzle, that's unutterable, right? Right? But the the thing the argument you're trying to make is I think he thinks it's even inconceivable, so it doesn't make it into Igros Moshe at all. Um, but it's worth noting that Rav Moshe doesn't end the Tshuvah with his halachic analysis. He ends the Tshuvah um, by saying to Rabbi Levitan, but even though I've said all this, uh, Ladina, but Lamigdar Milsa, that might be a different thing. Um, maybe there's a pragmatic policy reason to prevent such Kohanim from... Um, from from and maybe it's better not to allow them to duchen. Has has been your practice all the way through. Even if there's no other coin and therefore there's no duchening in the community at all, because he thinks you're you as the bezin of the community, you're certainly entitled to say we're not going to allow such people to duchen because it's bad policy. Because there's no um, there's no removal of the mitzvah say for coin to get up to duchening, because you're telling you're telling the sheikh sibur not to say koanim, so, and the mitzvah only begins once you're called up. 
However, he says, if you have not succeeded in preventing the Shliach Tzibur from calling them up, then certainly you have no, uh, right, certainly you, you couldn't prevent him because it would take a formal, you know, consensus decree from all the community but they didn't, uh, to have the, to have, to, you know, to use the capacity to say, maybe, and maybe, you know, whatever, I don't know what level degree of establishment it would be, um, he says, right, um, we haven't, because we, we haven't found anywhere in the Gemara that anybody said that they took away the Mitzvah to say of Kohanim to go up uh, on this issue, so you can't tell him once he's called up um, not to go up, so uh, even if you say that it's better, that that he shouldn't be called up, um, and neighbor of Moshe agrees, <speaking in Hebrew> that they shouldn't call him up, <speaking in Hebrew> but he concludes by saying, <speaking in Hebrew> but to object strongly, <speaking> in <Hebrew> those places where they uh, do allow such go on him, even though maybe that means Rav Moshe, maybe it means Rilevitan, uh, maybe it means even if wherever you are, the Chachamim don't want this and cities are doing it, it makes sense that you're at least not obligated to object to those other cities. So Rav Moshe tells Rilevitan in the end that what you did is okay for many years, um, but this is not something that's really worth fighting. And um, maybe, so I want to figure out, so what, what does Rav Leviton want for Rav Moshe? Is he providing it? Remembering again that Rav Moshe deliberately chose not to respond to uh, Rav Leviton in time to answer uh, the Shiloh. So if we go back to Iri Shlomo, so we discover there's a further conversation between Rabbi Shlomo Yellow of, of Syracuse, who saw the Shiloh asked in Igris Moshe, and writes to Sarbi um, Levitan that he thinks he has a better solution, which is that, because um, he says, I'm not sure that the, that the Migdar Milsa goes the way that it suggested Rav Moshe's Truva. Maybe the Migdar Milsa is to allow, first of all, to, to maintain Birgas Kohanim, because there are many towns where there's nobody saying there being no Sekapayim at all because of your policy. Um, and secondly, uh, these Kohanim themselves, if they're not allowed to do him, they're going to go off and they're going to marry women who have, right, with whom their children are halalim. So the whole institution of kuna, he thinks, is is in threat. So maybe Migdar Mil says to allow it, and not to allow it. So his solution is, as long as there's one Kohen in town who is Shomer Shabbos, so then you call up the all the Kohanim, and all the, and the Kohanim who aren't Shomer Shabbos will come up with that Kohen. Rabbi Levitan rejects this um, completely. And the truth is that halachically, it's not such a great—it's uh, not such a great solution. Although pragmatically, it may uh, be a fine way of balancing the values. But in the course of that, um, Levitan explains that he had originally asked the Shaila to the Ragachaver, and the Ragachaver, in his cryptic way, had given an answer that he decoded as saying, "You absolutely have to stop this Gohanim from duchening." And so he did. So what caused him to ask the Shiloh to Rav Moshe? So a, he says there was a, you know, obviously a macher in town who had several stores, and all those stores were kept open on Shabbos. And for all the years that Rabbi Levitan uh, was in an unchallenged charge, it seems, of all the shuls in the area, none of them allowed this person to be duchening, and he never considered it. But now a new chazan has come into one of those shuls, and that chazan is speaking to this rich guy, and telling him, who, and right, who I think has been elected president of that shul as well, and telling him you really ought to do him. Um, so he says, look, I, said, I was placed in an uncomfortable position, and I wrote to Rav Moshe rather than the Ragachover because I needed my community, 
Um, he says, I need my community to respect the Psak, and the Ragachavar wouldn't do it for my community. He's not Yodua in my Kehillah, and Rav Moshe is. So I think that makes it clear that um, the Relevantan wanted Rav Moshe to issue a clear prohibition. That's what his goal was. And Rav Moshe, knowing full well that that's what Rav Levitan wanted, and he wanted it to, to have it so he could present it when the whole community gets together, which was Yom Kippur, um, and make his stand. Um, and um, Rabbi Moshe couldn't provide it because Rabbi Moshe thought Medina that, that there was right that the only way you could excuse it is as a policy, but there was really no formal halachic defense. Um, so you, I think you get to see Rabbi Moshe uh, very you know, very handily um, avoiding being in the center of a controversy where his psak puts the rabbi in an uncomfortable position because the rabbi doesn't want to say he's only doing it the Migdar Mil. So he wants to say it's the halacha, that's right, otherwise it feels like a power play. So Rav Moshe avoids putting him in that position. At the same time, he gently suggests to him that maybe this is not an issue that is uh, worth fighting about in quite that, um, in quite that, in quite the same way. And in terms of his own shuvah, Rav Moshe says, you know, well, the first one is an interesting question, and I've answered it even though it's very much a kashel de berilav. Um, and I think part of the reason he says kashel de berilav is because um, he understands that many Rabbanim want the Psak to be Machmir and they think that's the proper policy, and maybe he agrees in principle, um, but in practice, if you really express the halacha, he thinks that you'd, you'll end up saying ridiculous things if you don't. So Moshe delicately balances it. He doesn't, he doesn't answer the, um, the Shaila in time. Um, when he answers it, he answers it in a way that the rabbi can feel is affirming, even as he's gently... You know, allowing him to move to move to somewhere else, and then in Negros Moshe himself, the Moshe just doesn't include the second conversation because he thinks that those are very. I guess if we had a term, it would be um, that don't even come to mind. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.